Ashley Judd's here. You know, let's let's do stuff. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson with CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Oi. And uh, from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello. And uh, we're doing our continuing series of best movies of the years in which we were born. And we are now at 1984. All right. This chick is toast. These go to 11. I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. Here again was the very voice of God. You're fucking sneaky bastard. Which is a really good year. Holy crap, 1984 is a good year. This is like, this is where you can see, like, if you were to, if you were to make some sort of, I don't know, evolution chart for just me, it would like be like, you know, I would be the homo erectus in 1984 (laughs) because that's where like I, you know, learned to like movies and stuff like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Homo erectus. And that's because of police academy. That's right. Because of police academy. You are correct. But um, right off the bat, uh, Amadeus won best picture of 1984. And this is the first best picture I think that actually deserves it. Oh, yeah. um, Out of the out of the whole group of the 80s that we've gone through. It seems like they just just never got it right. But I think Amadeus is a really good choice. And I think it will be at least considered in the final there. But uh, so many movies. Uh, Ghostbusters. Oh, Ghostbusters is so good. And uh, also uh, The Terminator. The first Terminator came out, which Mm -hmm. uh, I would have to say you probably have a pretty good section of the population. I might be one of them who likes it better than the sequel. Right. And the sequel is really I love the sequel. So yeah. so uh, yeah, love love the Terminator. Uh, what other movies do you guys want to talk about? There's millions. Oh yeah, it's like this is going to be hard. Um, do Beverly Hills Cop, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Gremlins, yes. Um, I mean, so many iconic movies. Probably iconic, not just to our generation. Right now, we were the right age when some of these movies came out, but um, I think they're iconic to multiple generations, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, Barrett. What about you? Speaking of iconic, you don't get more iconic. And this is timely because of the new Andy Samberg pop star movie that came out. And he actually directly references this movie as an inspiration for it with Spinal Tap. Oh, Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that set the entire template for the mockumentary, the the rock show parody for just parodies in general. I mean, it hits all the notes. And strangely enough, like the music is really, really good too, like <laughs> on its own. The so, music is the music is good, and like and and there were actual hair metal bands who thought, uh, not thought, but they thought it hit so close to home, like it, <laughs> everything that happens in the movie is something that has probably happened to an actual band in the yeah, past. They from they lost in the bowels of the the stadium to like. You know, his his pod not opening to like, you know, the set design, like having to use little people around the little stone. Ends <laughs> <and> the <little laughs> stone. <laughs> the 
love that Stonehenge thing. It's so funny. Oh my god. Oh man. And and you know, this is Spinal Tap is another one that it's gonna just cloud this 1984 what's best uh of the year because there's so many good there ones. There's so and, many rewatchable ones, right? You right. can watch this as Spinal Tap or Ghostbusters or even like the Karate Kid or like Temple of Doom or Grimm. You can watch these things over and over and over again. We did. And of yeah. course, a instrumental to my childhood, the never ending story yeah. came out in nineteen eighty four in which I saw it probably fifty times when I was seven years oh, old. Yeah. Oh, no yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. Um it just it, I you just talk about something that just gets your imagination going. It's just perfect. Like, I, I don't feel like most kids movies do that nowadays. Uh, and maybe they didn't really even back in this time, but that's why this one has sort of endured for so long. But, uh, I, I, I love movies that just make you think about just the, the world in general. You don't have to think about just the movie, what they present, um, it's, it just actually just gets you fired up and want to make your own sort of never ending story or whatever, you know? Right. So it was just one of those movies that, uh, hold in such high regard and still today. There are going to be so many, more than any other year we've talked about, there are going to be so many comments about movies we forget to mention from this year because oh, yeah. Yeah. there's got to be 50 that people hold dear and like, um, you know, okay, so let's 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 move on to another one um, that we talked about recently on another podcast, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. not going to vie for best of the year, but <laughs> nope. um, was still huge cultural impact for a time and full of illegal activities. Yes, uh, and then of course, I think we'd be remiss not to mention Purple Rain as well. Oh though. yeah, oh it's yeah, not, it's not going to win, but um, again, another iconic moment for an iconic iconic guy that recently passed and uh you know i've probably seen purple rain more than i'd like to admit can i say (laughs) something about purple rain real quick go ahead (laughs) i like purple rain i worshipped purple rain before it was cool to worship purple rain and i swear Mm -hmm. to god anybody will bag me up on this before all the you know the uh the the prince love fest of course rightfully so after he died but um that movie is alternately indefensible acting wise yes but it is absolutely <laughs> exemplary when it comes to musical performances you have never seen better performances on stage certainly filmed than the ones that prince did at first avenue for purple rain and that goes for obscure ones like darling nikki and the beautiful ones and computer blue uh to you know the the actual purple rain and it, it you got to watch the movie and sit through all the shitty acting to actually get like the real emotion behind that purple rain performance. And it's worth it. So that's yeah, my isn't it. Isn't that movie weird? Like it's, there's so much good to it. And yeah, you get to the, <laughs> the actual acting and all the other stuff you had. I mean, it, it really is a movie that puts you in different places all the uh-huh. way throughout it. And, uh, it kind of reminds me, it's not nearly as bad as this, but the Rocky horror picture show, it kind of reminds me of that. Rocky Horror Picture Show has great songs in it, uh-huh. yeah, but yeah. it's it's a terrible movie. It's just ridiculously terrible. Um, yeah. uh, not per, you know, Purple Rain doesn't hit that, but it's yeah. It reminds me of that. <laughs> There's some times where it's close. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely I mean, right. My God, but uh, it is absolutely worth it to get to the end and uh, and really all the way through it. The performance is just amazing. All of that, and we haven't talked about Sixteen Candles yet, which is another one. I I we we also you know did this as a movie recipe that's coming up. Um, the 
the thing about 16 candles and, and I, I, I said this i think in the recipe thing is like i feel like the 80s officially began with 16 candles like it's <laughs> like the like the movies before it you started sort of seeing signs of the 80s the reagan era 80s and everything but 16 candles is where it really john hughes was that was his first directorial movie yeah um he comes in and then he comes off and rattles off a string of of just incredible like teen comedies uh all the way i mean he had like nearly a perfect record going all the way up into the like 1990 um but 16 candles does not age well as far as racism um <laughs> where you know long duck dong is greeted with uh, a gong symbol every time he, <laughs> he comes on screen uh to date rape where the uh the yeah. boyfriend offers his girlfriend anthony michael hall and says ah won't matter you know she's drunk she won't even know who it Jeez. is blah blah <sighs> blah and, and like saying that like as the romantic lead of the movie too. You could never get away with that today. No way. Any chance. And anything Michael Hall actually feels like he's going to go through with it too. And they, they, they cut towards the end and, and, uh, and he's like, did we do it? And she's like, yeah, we did. And and he actually went through with it. Oh my God. It's like, and, and like, it just doesn't make any sense. But, uh, but, uh, beside the racism and the day rape, (laughs) There is some pretty funny moments in 16 Candles. Um, And it brought us Molly Ringwald and she became America's sweetheart and all that. So, uh, but yeah, what, what a weird movie that that's one of those that puts you in a weird place. Now that you've gone through a whole bunch of stuff and you've opened your eyes and all that. I don't think, I don't think the same things were uh, brought up back then. Obviously I don't, there was probably hardly anybody who brought up, like hey you know what that's kind of racist <laughs> or hey that's kind of rapey you know nobody really said anything that, like that in 1984 but you know now you it, it's just so stark and clear yeah yeah well and it's again again the revenge of the nerds is the same year so this is it's surprise. <laughs> this is an era yeah. which nobody gave a shit um it was also an interesting year romantic comedy wise because mm-hmm. another two that i remember watching a ton are romancing the stone and Splat. oh yeah yes and yes between those two and 16 candles you couldn't find three more diverse romantic comedy in in any year maybe i don't think they're so wildly different from each other romancing the stone is uh it was an awesome experience because it came right around you know i mean you have indiana jones and the temple of doom the same year right it's it's obviously sort of taking that indiana jones uh you know template but putting a romantic comedy on top of it and uh and i used to watch this movie all the time yeah, just it it was just one of those it was one of those and i just and i love danny devito and how how short he looked in that movie like it <laughs> you don't really get to see it that often and there's like you know there's like so many moments where he's he's like walking like they'll have a, a long shot of him like walking through that that valley or whatever he's walking through and he's like on you know and he's like walking through and it's like man he has never looked more short than in this <laughs> And then this movie, um, I like that. That's what I, you yeah, remember I, from it. <laughs> I remember Danny. That's what I remember Danny DeVito looking like. Oh, yeah. I remember most of the movie, but yeah. Um, but yeah, Romancing the Stone was such a fun movie. And uh, what was the other one that you Splash. mentioned? Splash. Yeah, I probably saw that another sixty to seventy yeah. times. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of those um, that was on all the time. And uh, and I, you know, I always had to watch. Of course, especially when I'm like eight and I'm not sure. 
Um, you know, I'm not sure about if I like these girls or not, but I was sitting there watching that Daryl Hannah stuff real closely when she'd walk in, <laughs> like uh, walking towards the Statue of Liberty. I'm like, hey, that's her butt right there. That's her butt. <laughs> was, you know, uh, that was Ron Howard, right? Yeah. So yeah. it was a pretty good year for like, I think I've said this before, maybe I just have broken record, but it was a pretty good year for like, hey, I'm on the scene type director, or like with John Hughes and 16 Candles and Ron Howard and Splash. And then you had uh, Blood Blood Simple, um, mm-hmm. yep. the Coens, and, uh, you know, I'll look through and see if I can find any more. But even the, just those three kind of, well, the Terminator was sort of yeah. James Cameron's, hey, I'm here. And everybody took notice after that. So, yeah. And Rob well, Reiner. Yeah, and Rob Reiner. And, uh, well, and, and, and Blood Simple is a movie that, uh, I love, I know that there are a lot of people out there who are like, what's the big deal with this movie or whatever. I I love blood simple. I don't know what you guys think of it. It's not one of my favorites of theirs. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the plotting of it and it's, uh, and they're, and you know, they're obviously young, talented filmmakers just starting to learn what they're capable of and everything yeah. that shot across the bar is always one of those, you know, uh, that that you know one take shot across the bar is always one of those great you know things to look at in that movie. But I just I've always loved the plot and Dan Hedaya being in you know full Dan Hedaya mode. Um, <laughs> you know you know <laughs> if you if you're a big fan of Dan Hedaya, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, but yeah, love that movie. Also, and we may have briefly uh, mentioned it, but The Natural. Yeah. is also another movie I probably, I mean, seriously, in 1984, I probably saw six or seven of these movies more than 10 times at least. Yeah. And The Natural is one of the ones that I've probably seen up there with Back to the Future, probably seen it uh, the most of any of them. Uh, love baseball, and it was, and it coincided with my love of baseball. Yeah. So, love The Natural. Um, what well, else, guys? Also, a good, a, a good movie. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of these we're talking about are not. Um, but yeah. have we even mentioned A Nightmare on Elm Street? Nope. Yeah, so <laughs> it's another big one. That's how good a year this is, people. Um, a Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, some people would argue that as the best of the year, or at least for both, you know, I guess it's quality, but cultural impact wise, like... It, I think defined the slasher more than the Friday the Thirteenth series did. Yeah, it was certainly one of the most uh, popular horror movies of all time, and then it spawned you know seven or eight sequels or whatever. Um, and a but, Simpsons parody. Yeah, and a Simpsons <laughs> parody. But you look back at that first Nightmare on Elm Street, and there's just so many things in it that so it's so creative, and that's something that you you can't say about a lot of horror movies. Um, just the, the idea that this demon can get you in his, in your dreams is a freaking, you know, yeah, that's it's, the, it's the concept that really freaks you out. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of just really silly stuff, especially when you watch it now, but you know, think about 1984 back then and it's a, you know, that's a, that's a brand new thing. So, um, I can, you know, I've never yeah. been a huge fan of it, but I can see where it can be, you know, where it would be that way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with you. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed about 1984 beyond it being just a general awesome year for movies is it's a, it's a really good year for theme songs mm-hmm. uh, from, mm-hmm. from those movies. If you think about like Ghostbusters had their theme, you had Beverly Hills Cop, you had Footloose, oh, man. you had um, Against All Odds, oh, man. you had uh, the Spinal Tap stuff, you had Purple Rain, of course. Yep. 
And, uh, you know, there, it, on and on and on. There's just a, the never-ending story theme song, yeah. which I really love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that, there was a lot of really great, like, pop music that came out of this uh, this year. So, interesting to, well, to think Karate Kid's about. full of songs that were playing <laughs> on radio for a Well, long time. and the, the, fun, the Karate Kid was uh, John Albertson, who did Rocky. And it's basically Rocky. I mean, the movie is Rocky <laughs> again. Uh, it, that might be sacrilege to say to some people, but it is. It's 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 the exact same story in many ways. You know, same same like underdog story, same montages to set to songs. You know, same sort of like gotta gotta do uh, gotta you know uh, gotta win in the end somehow. Even though Rocky, you know, didn't follow that same kind of thing, but it's really Rocky again. Um, all. Also, uh, two comedies that I ha- I hold I hold dear came out in 1984. Um, one is Top Secret, which was mm. the Zucker Brothers and Jim Abrams uh, yeah. uh, sort of uh, coming back after Airplane, and they had they had done Police Squad, which would later be Naked Gun. Um, uh, but between that, and it only had like six episodes on TV, but. Um, but top secret is one of those. If you've never seen top secret, I swear, if you love airplane and naked gun, you will love top secret as well. It's, it's so funny. It's, um, and, and nobody, and hardly anybody ever mentions it anymore, but there are some of the most clever gags that they've ever written is in top secret. Um, and, and, and you just have to, you just have to watch it to see, but I mean, it, I, I can't believe this never took off. Um, and it might be just the fact that Val Kilmer is playing like an Elvis, like he's <laughs> playing some, basically playing Elvis, I guess. I don't know. It's not really like an Elvis impersonator movie or anything, but it's got, it's just got some weird, you know, it's got some weird things in it, but you can, if you ignore that like couple of times that it goes off on that tangent, uh, it's so funny. Um, Another one, another one that came out this year that hardly anybody likes, I guess. I don't know. Johnny Dangerously came out uh, yeah. in 1984, and I love Johnny Dangerously. Uh, Amy Heckerling, this was her follow-up to Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Um, Michael Keaton again. Um, and I, I've always found that that movie just hilarious, um, especially when Joe Piscopo comes in and he pulls out this gun that's got this huge uh, barrel on it. And he and they're like, wow, it's a big gun. And he goes, yeah, it shoots through schools. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but it's such a great it's such a great comedy to me and uh and I, I don't know if it gets the love that it deserves but uh, it's quick uh, it's really really quick and yeah if you watch it multiple times then you can really start to like parse out all the stuff that's in there mm-hmm. there's the really broad comedy there's the you know the villain talking about farging ice holes and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then like those in between uh, little things, like that moment, like it shoots through schools, you know. <laughs> this is my, you know, my sister put me on a hook once, once, you know, <laughs> and he keeps doing that all the way through the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great, but love that. Um, there, there's oh god, there's so many, uh, and we're and we're probably not. I mean, we're talking about movies that probably won't win but special to me also last starfighter used to watch all the time Mm. um uh basically uh, a movie that you know it's one of your 
because Star Wars existed, this movie exists. Uh, you know, somebody somebody decided let's make another type of uh, you know boy on Earth, and he becomes a hero and all sort of stuff. Starman, yeah, John Carpenter, oh, I like that. Um, Starman is so good. Um, it was actually I think some of it was shot uh, right here in Tennessee. Oh well, um, some of it. Uh, but uh, used to watch Starman all the time. Uh, um, Jeff Bridges. Um fantastic love karen allen um anything else i've got a couple more but i you know don't want to take up the whole thing we we have a former mutual friend from our old theater days that would be mad if we didn't talk about body double yeah i was about to i was gonna i was actually gonna talk about that if there's nobody brought it up which is a movie i only saw because i was at work with him one night and he was talking about it and found out i had never seen it and literally said, you're coming to my house afterwards to watch this movie. And so I went <laughs> over to his house afterwards and we watched the movie. And uh, it was it's one of those things that, like, you know when you, you've never seen a movie, but you're watching it with somebody who adores it? Um, mm-hmm. You almost can't help but subconsciously go one way or the other really hard. Like, it makes you like it more <laughs> or it makes you really hate it more. And oh, it, just, yeah. it just added to my enjoyment to watch somebody who just adored this movie. And he was giggling at moments that didn't seem funny. And anyway, um, what do you guys think about that movie? I love Body Double. I've seen it probably five or six times, actually. And there was a point where it actually came on quite a bit on uh, one of the movie channels. It just seemed like it just always came on for whatever reason. But this is De Palma. This is a year after Scarface and it feels like he's back in his zone with this one. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is pure De Palma, but, um, but this is a good, this is a good, you know, it's a, I guess you have thriller and you have some elements of comedy in it. Like if you really wanted to take it as a satire on, on movies and and actresses and actors and all that type of thing if you want to really dive deep into it or whatever but um the 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 main actor craig wasson reminds me of bill maher so much he's he's he looks exactly like (laughs) bill maher and every time that every time body doubles on i'm like is that bill maher oh yeah it's that other dude um but uh, but Body Double is one of those movies that has just it, it has a it has a really clever mystery to it. You know, it's uh, you you can't really guess what's going on until the reveal at the yeah, end. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, I love Body Double. Good. Awesome. Um, I'm I'm actually OK. So I want to name two others. I don't think these have I'm not going to talk in detail about them, but uh, I'm actually surprised neither of you picked the Muppets take Manhattan. Um, but there's also another Woody Allen. That's pretty good here. Broadway, Danny Rose. I'll just mm-hmm. mention that one, uh, is another, another fun movie, uh, from him. Um, and then after that, yeah, I mean, you have like, you know, I mean, that's, I don't know what else to really say. So I guess we can go to the, uh, the voting on this. Now. I have a prediction. Um, yeah, because we, I, you know, you listen to that discussion, you look at the list of 1984 movies and even I said, this is going to be hard. And I think it is, but I think we're going to resolve this faster than anybody thinks we will. Like, I think mm. we're going to all make similar choices here. I might be wrong, but that's my prediction. Okay. All right. So uh, who? what's the order this year? While, while, Barrett, while Barrett comes up with this order, um, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and throw, throw out the movies that we didn't talk about. Once Upon a Time in America, which I don't think we saw. I think we've mentioned it before for other things, but that came out in 1984. Um, uh, Dune, David Lynch, Dune, mm-hmm. which is, um, I, 
I now I remember watching this in a theater as a kid and it and it frightened me beyond belief. Um uh and I didn't like it. Now I think it's been sort of it's one of those movies that got unnecessarily shit on uh over the years and now it's sort of gotten sort of a a comeback with people who who really enjoy it. I don't think it's a great movie by any means, but um, but Dune is, is worthy of mention foot, footloose, which I haven't seen in forever. Um, came out in 1984. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was plausible that. that towns would ban dancing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, man. Down. Hey man. And then, and then five years later we got dirty dancing where it was basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't talk about star Trek three, the spurt search for Spock, which, you know, is not a very good movie anyway, but did they find him? Uh, uh well there was a Star Trek four where he was ah, in it so I think he nice. found it. I think they found him that's the one where he did the uh, neck pinch on the uh, the guy with the boombox right <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so we knew Spock is okay well, yeah search for Spock yes. is uh, also the old switcheroo from Kirstie Alley to not Kirstie Alley uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and notable yeah. and watchable in my opinion for Christopher Lloyd's um, Klingon bad guy alone oh yeah because yeah. he chews it up. But anyway, nice. Okay, order is Chris Barrett, and deciding vote is Jeremy. Ah, fuckers! I have a a a tremendous conflict with myself on what this number one movie is going to be. Um, and you know, I don't know how have we been doing this so far. Really, have we been picking our favorites, or have we been picking what we think is the best? Because uh, I've been picking what is my favorite. For the most part. What about you guys? I think they bleed into each other. I think everybody understands that. Yeah. yeah it's basically what we consider the best of that year. Right. Yeah. So looking at this year, there's probably a million I've seen millions of times. But then there's one movie that I haven't seen a lot of, but I recognize is probably the best movie. And it's Amadeus. Mm. And, uh, and Amadeus it's, and you know, when you look at Amadeus, it's like, oh, is this going to be, is this some boring period piece about Mozart? No, it really isn't. No, it's it's so not that. Yeah. It's so engaging and, uh, and funny in places you never thought it would be funny. And, uh, and, uh, it's just, and, and, and it's a long movie, but it's, it's so good. And, and I, I can't pick against it. Wow. Uh, I, I think it's better than anything on this list. And believe me, there's so many on here that I've seen hundreds of times and I love dearly. I just, I think Amadeus is the best movie. Wow. I did not expect that. I did not expect that either. My prediction but, is going to go wrong. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> You're absolutely right. It is unbelievable. I actually watched this again recently, and from the costuming, from the hyper stylistic, to Tom Hulse's performance, which is amazing. He's so great yeah. that movie. He makes he makes Mozart relatable in a way that you, you just think of Mozart as this grand figure. And actually, the poster of Amadeus is this, you know, what, what ends up being his father and everything. This big, you know, demonic looking thing. But it's it's funny and touching, and he's got this infectious laugh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it makes it really fun. And the you know, um, F. Murray Abraham's performance as young Solieri yeah. and old Solieri is some of the most dramatic and realistic acting that I've seen in in forever. He yeah, 
he makes it very, very relatable, even though you can tell he's acting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, it, it takes a lot for me to pick against Amadeus because I, it, I, I think, yes, it is the best movie of 1984, but my favorite movie and what I think is the most long lasting and most, most, uh, impactful is Ghostbusters. I don't mm, think. Yep. Um, and believe me, that's sitting there swirling around my head. How do I pick against Ghostbusters? It's one and one A. I love Amadeus so much. Uh, you know, I can watch the director's cut, which is three hours, but, I could watch uh, Ghostbusters, and I have watched Ghostbusters so many times, and there's so many great nuggets in there. You've oh, got yeah. all of these actors, these comedic actors in their prime, um, and, you know, Annie Potts, and, of course, the Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and, and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Rick Moranis, like, everybody's just really at the top of their game, and the effects hold up more or less. Um, the yeah, does. Um, <laughs> although it is weird. It, I mean, this doesn't detract at all for me, but like, you know, the Ghostbusters is one of the first movies that I remember seeing. You have the computer effects and then the switcheroo to the puppets uh-huh. right after that. So that's like what happens with the dogs when they show up and everything <laughs> yeah. like that. When the dog first shows up, it's like you, back in 1984, you didn't really notice this, or at least when you're a kid, you didn't notice this, but it, it's so horrible the way that <laughs> that thing is rendered. And then like, uh, especially when it crashes into the table and all that, but like, then it, then it cuts over and it's like the puppet and it's like, Oh, this looks real. This is good. <laughs> you know? But, um, but yeah, uh, Ghostbusters is, is so good. And there's dialogue in it. Even that part where Bill Murray is like asking the librarian if she's menstruating and everything <laughs> that they think, you know, that it's so well done that people thought that that was an ad lib and it's in the script. Yeah. He, you know, it's, that's, that's how good that script is, is it feels like some things are ad libbed and it's not. <laughs> well, uh, anyway. It's it's endlessly rewatchable, and it's I think the what I consider the best of that of that year. I yeah, have, I have uh, no argument against it. I have a, I, I also don't argue against that. In fact, I have this feeling that the majority of our listeners would expect us to crown that the champion. Um, I have a unique relationship with Ghostbusters in that I was not allowed to watch it when all the rest of you were. <laughs> it was one of those movies my parents were convinced was going to be full of inappropriate stuff for me at the time. And maybe it was. I don't quite remember the age. But, um, I mean, I was nine when it came out. But uh, we would be talking about home video a couple years later. Um, but I, I didn't see it until maybe my mid to late teens. Um, huh. Long after everybody in my generation adored it and was in love with it. And uh, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's weird for me is I watched, I know it seems like most Ghostbusters fans hate the second one um, or don't respect it as much. And I watched the two films and they, I like them both. They seem like the same kind of thing to me. And so I won't argue against Ghostbusters, but just because of the way I was introduced to it and I guess not introduced to it, um, I can't vote for that one. And so I have to go with Spinal Tap. Mm, yeah. Wow. And another one I can't wow. argue against because it's, it's so good. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about, we talked about it a lot when we were just kind of discussing, uh, and I don't have a lot to add to that, except that I just think it's brilliant, like ahead of its time, brilliant. And uh, everybody, like you were saying with Ghostbusters, everybody in that movie is right on stride with their timing and their rapport with each other. And uh, a lot of that movie is ad-libbed. And uh, I think that's part of what makes it so good. But anyway, um, you know, it had a huge cultural impact. It holds up super well. 
I can't find anything negative to say about it. And it's one of my favorite movies of this year. So I'm going with that one. I love also like if if you ever get a chance to listen to the commentary on this is Spinal Tap where they're all still the band yeah. as they're co- commenting that's like watching the movie all like with new footage right um and because there's a I love the I love the parts in the commentary where they, they, somebody keeps saying that guy's dead and then <laughs> somebody is like well no he's not dead he's still living he's blah blah blah, blah. and like the, there's that scene where they go and visit Elvis's grave and he's like oh elvis he's dead he's like oh yeah he's dead he was dead when we made this (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and uh but yeah uh, is there is i think this is the first time we've had a 1a 1b 1c where it's it's uh, either one of these it it could win and i have no problem with it in fact my second choice now that we're down to we we haven't agreed on anything is going to be that much harder because now I got to pick either this is Spinal Tap or Ghostbusters. Um, and I'm going to go with this is Spinal Tap as well, even though still Ghostbusters is, I mean, I'm not going to have a problem with Ghostbusters, you know? Well, I was going to go with a movie. It's not my turn, but I'm confused now because I, well, never mind. Boy, I just wasted some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're going on this by however which movie gets the most number ones and number twos combined? I, I hate so, to prolong this anymore, but like I have to do Amadeus as my number two. Mm-hmm. So right now we've got Amadeus with one, one and one, two. We've got Spinal Tap with one, one and one, two. And we've got Ghostbusters with one, one. And I was, I, because I didn't understand the rules, I was going to say Terminator. Mm, mm. which would push us no, yeah you could throw in a no bar. you no you can put in another one no that the rules are just you pick what you think is your second well, sorry guys but that's how i have it on my list um no so i, I agree i mean terminator is fantastic yeah and the terminator is just another one of those movies you gotta put up there it's impossible to say well this can't be the best one because it's 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 clearly one of the better ones that came out in 1984. You're going um, to science the shit out of this math though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um so so because I I mean I loved all three of these choices, Ghostbusters is going to be my third choice. Mm. So yeah. is somebody writing this down? Uh-huh. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm also going to go with Spinal Tap as my third. So and then what's your third, Jeremy? Oh my God! Um, oh, it's Amadeus. Ah, okay. Okay, so that sounds like Amadeus and this is Spinal Tap have one, two, and three. Correct. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a fourth one written down. I'm going to glance through here and choose. Well, and once you get down to my fours, I'm going to start going like Never Ending Story and Me too. you know all this stuff. So. Um, I think, yeah, if we go between, uh, let's just narrow it down to between Spinal Tap and Amadeus. Yeah. Yeah. Let's re-vote on those. Those are the only two choices. Okay. Well, I obviously, because mine was number one, Amadeus will be number one. And mine. I would would vote for Amadeus as well. Oh, you bastard. All right. Well, then I lose. Sorry, Spinal Tap. (laughs) Amadeus, Amadeus. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is, uh, I mean, we picked what the Academy did for the first time since, um, well, what, since, uh, the seventies, it was the seventies. We picked, what was the last Annie one? Hall. We, Annie Hall was the last one we picked. Yeah. We actually started off doing that. It was Rocky, then Annie Hall. And then we finally diverged. 
from the Academy, but this time we're picking with the Academy. Um, we do. another great, another great one from Milos Foreman. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we did. I mean, I think even though that's the one we chose, there were clearly several heavy hitting contenders that we'd all mentioned. So, I mean, it's just that good of a year and there are going to be a few more of these moving forward where it's just going to be really hard. Yeah, especially when we get into the 90s and there's a couple of like amazing years in that in that decade. And I think 87, I haven't looked at 87 yet, but mm-hmm. I think 87 is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um that's going to be a hard one. Um but speaking of the future, <laughs> um we are going to be doing 1985 next year. I mean next week, next year, next year. <laughs> next year we're doing 1985. One we're going to just take a year. We're going to take a break. Um, but uh, some notable oh, movies God. to think about for oh, 1985. God. I'm looking at oh them my right God. now. Yeah, the, some notable movies to think about and ponder and maybe watch before the next podcast are The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. Back to the Future, uh, Goonies, the Goonies, Weird Science, Rocky Color Four. Purple, uh, Brazil, Clue, um, Teen Wolf, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> Saint Elmo's Fire, Out of Witness, Africa, Out of Africa, which won Best Picture. Yeah, um, Rocky Four, which did not win Best Picture. No, it didn't, but it was Best Picture, right? Yes, um, in our hearts. It was, best, it was in our hearts. Saint Elmo's best, Fire. Yep, Saint Elmo's Fire. It was the Best Picture that uh, you know uh, Rocky Four was the Best Picture in defeating the Soviets. Well, That's yeah, what it was. Totally. The Last Dragon, Cocoon, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, um, European Vacation. Uh, it starts getting a little bit uh, dicey. Fletch. A couple of um, fantasy notes, uh, Legend and Lady Hawk. Yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, those were both uh, interesting movies. Yes. I don't want to get too much into the, our opinions of them, but uh, because we will be doing that next next week, but... Um. Yeah, there's some movies to for you guys to ponder for next week, and uh, when we're discussing them, if you want to watch them and whatnot, and tweet uh, us your favorites, and yes. we'll read some of them on the podcast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And in the head. Yeah. All right. So today is exciting because we are going to be talking about movie theater stories again. I want to tell you a story. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. Yay. Uh, it's been it's been a few months, and uh, it's actually one of our more popular podcasts. So uh, we're gonna give uh, we're gonna do volume two today. Uh, Barrett, did you want to start us off on one of these? Yeah. So obviously, I have the least experience with movie theaters, uh, and I wanted to get uh, more from Chris and Jeremy. I do have one more story about my brief tenure in a in a theater, and I wanted to get your thoughts on if this is a similar thing has ever happened to you. So I started working at a movie theater right after I graduated high school, like a week after or something like that. Uh, as you all know, if you're out of high school, that's kind of one of the most awkward times in your entire life where, <laughs> um, you know, your friends are going different places. You got the summer, but you don't really want to know. You don't know what to do during the summer because uh, everybody's going to be going their separate ways and all that stuff. And they start real jobs and everything. <clears throat> so I started working with this and the location of the theater that Chris and Jeremy and I worked at. Uh, is not too far away from my high school. So it got a lot of, you know, my classmates traffic. And I had the inauspicious job of a concessions worker. And that was almost the only thing that I did. 
And so I was way up front, you know, when you first come in, you see my smiling face, you know, you know, ready to serve you some popcorn and a, a chewed up hot dog turd. And uh, so, so unfortunately, so you, if you work like the 7 p.m. shift and that kind of thing, um, you get all these people coming in you get a lot of them that you know. And that's not a real good look if you ever like worked in fast food or if you've ever waited tables or that kind of thing. And you're waiting on your friends and like it, it's kind of awkward. It's you the ever, worst. Yeah. yeah, right. And so, man, like a couple weeks in and I was starting to get my 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 footing and everything. I was like, all right, well, I can, you know, I'm getting used to this. And my ex-girlfriend comes in uh, to the concession stand with her new boyfriend. I'm like, fuck. And so I got to wait on this bitch. And, and, then, and she ordered, and of course she comes into my line and she's like, Oh, hi, you know, and she's like, I want some popcorn and, and, you know, Billy beefcake over here wants like a fucking nachos or something. <laughs> Billy beefcake. And well, it was also seven o'clock show. So like, there's just people everywhere. There's a million people working at the concessions and everybody's running around all crazy. And of course, you know, I have to run down the line to grab the popcorn and everything. And back in, you guys know what I'm talking about. Back in behind the counter, there's this thin veneer of popcorn, whatever that shit is that they put on on popcorn. It's buttery topping. Buttery <laughs> topping. There's this thin veneer of this oil that's just on the floor, and everybody's just rolling around on on skates, basically. Yep. And man, like as soon as I got back, I was going to get rid of this woman and just like go about my the rest of my day. Uh, I slipped on that oil and went ass over tit and just like the popcorn flew up, went everywhere, went all over her, went all over her. I took down like so, like the nachos and like it was just, it was a fucking disaster. Mom's back and I'm looking up and this woman's just laughing at me. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. So anyway, so all that to say to to start off, did you guys ever have a moment within like the the scope of your theater career where you had like a real embarrassing moment that kind of thing? Yeah. Oh jeez. I, I don't have. I'm not prepared to tell too many of those stories, but yeah. So I mine is is almost like yours. Um, I went in to a, a sold out auditorium, and I can't remember. I think I may have just gone down there to like uh, do something with a thermostat or something like that. Um, Cause it, you know, we had cleaned the theater and all that. And I'm pretty sure I was like usher age back that back when this happened. Um, and so I walked in and I did the thermostat and I decided to walk in front and around to um, I guess there was another thermostat or I had to walk to the other side for whatever reason. And uh, the front of the theater is, is nothing but just a, like a slick concrete floor, basically. Um, it, it's, it, even when there's not like, uh, you know, several shows of people dumping their popcorn on the floor and all this other type of stuff, it's already a slick surface and other and fluids and other fluids. Indeed. Don't, <laughs> don't kid yourselves. Um, but like, uh, uh, I walked and this is, you know, there's 200 people in this auditorium. I'm walking in front of every, uh, you know, in front of this auditorium and just, yeah, my foot just slipped on something and I went straight down oh, no. and everything and just crumbled. And there were like, you know, people were like, you know, laughing and, you know, whatever and all that. I got up and took a bow 
and uh, <laughs> and walked what out. What can you do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. You know, it's like, yep, this is embarrassing, but I'm going to own it. I'll nice. counter your embarrassing stories with a story about when I was smooth. Um, ah. because working at the theater you're talking about was fun because you know I want to. Once a month or so, somebody famous would come in, right? Because it was mm-hmm. the biggest theater in town. So you might see Eddie George or when they were filming Green Mile, Tom Hanks came in. Um, but one night, it was like the last set of shows. The lobby's pretty much empty. And I just started all my projectors. And so I came down, came out behind the concession stand and started filling up my drink at one of the unused stands. And there were two customers standing right there in front of that drink station being helped by a concessionaire on a register right there. So I'm like three feet away from them, but I'm just filling up my Mountain Dew. And as I am, I look up and I realize it's Ashley Judd mm-hmm. and yep. her race car husband. And well, yeah. she didn't marry Dario Franchitti. Yeah. And she gives me, I'll never forget this moment. She gives me this smile like that's super polite and warm, but also suggests, hey, can you not make a big deal out of this right now? Yeah. And I just kind of smiled back, looked back to my drink. And turned and walked back upstairs. <laughs> and it was the coolest thing to know. I think they were watching Gladiator. Um, but uh, anyway. It's the, it's the funny thing about uh, Nashville and, and everything. When you If you worked in movie theaters in the 90s and the early 2000s and everything, I think everybody has an Ashley Judd story. <laughs> Probably. Like, like, like I worked at, I worked at a, a theater in Franklin and, and the, you know, the Judds, if you aren't familiar, the, the country duo from the eighties that were such a huge hit and everything, they lived in uh, leapers fork and they used to come to uh, Franklin, which is the theater that I used to live in. I mean, live in, <laughs> yeah, I did live there too. <laughs> um, uh, but the theater that I used to work at and everything. So like uh, they were, they were huge. And then Ashley Judd started becoming, uh, a big deal in the, in the mid nineties and everything. And, uh, and I remember once just, uh, I was a, I was a, an assistant manager and I was just sort of like uh, hanging out and talking to one of the ticket takers and, and, uh, this ticket taker, this girl's like, that girl over there looks really pretty. And, uh, I looked over and it's, it's Ashley Judd, like looking just dynamite, like in a pink dress and everything. And, and I was like, I was like, that's Ashley Judd. No wonder she looks great. And, um, and, uh, but like, that was the day that I, you know, they went to see air force one and I, I, I had, we had just gotten a kiss the girls poster in and I, I got her to sign it and I got a picture with her nice. and all other type of stuff. But she used, she came in like several times for various reasons, but, um, but it was always just a, it was always a cool thing, you know, when Ashley Judd's here, you know, let's, let's do stuff, you know, that type of thing. Let's have a celebration. <laughs> let's have a celebration. <laughs> Ashley Judd. Let's order a Unroll pizza. The Ashley Judd banner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. All right, so, well, so yeah, we would do stuff. <laughs> I'm going to anyway. move into one of the stories I planned to tell today, since we've already gone for several minutes <laughs> off, yeah. off the cuff. Uh, and I want to assure everybody, this is volume two of Theater Stories, but I'm sure there's enough content for at least six or seven volumes. So um, <laughs> if you like these, they'll be around for a while. And last episode that we talked about Theater Stories, Chris referenced uh, Jeremy has a super racist story. And oh, yeah. that's all anyone wanted to hear about um, for the next several weeks. So I'm going to tell that story right now. And it, I'll tell <laughs> okay. you up front, it is one of the most racist things I have ever witnessed in my life. And I'm going to not use names or change them to protect the guilty. 
<laughs> we uh we had this guy um at a theater Chris and I both worked at that uh was sort of the fix it guy, the handyman guy. Let's call him Bob. And uh Bob was not a, a high quality employee. Um he was the kind of guy who would probably come in stoned or drunk every other night. He would come in as we were closing, fix stuff that needed fixing till we opened again in the morning, and then he would go home. And uh, pretty sure he was off the books. Pretty sure he was paid cash or movie tickets by the boss. Um, and she was able to somewhat kind of control him. They had a weird relationship. Um, but he never did anything I asked him to do. Um, and he always seemed kind of lazy to me. Um, but he was nice. He was pleasant. Um, he wasn't rude. Uh, and it's important to note for the future of this story that he was African-American. Um, mm -hmm. So from time to time, I don't know how much this happens anymore, but we used to get lots of promotional items for movies at the theater, um, like trinkets and doodads that usually we just kept as employees rather than giving them out. Like for Nurse Betty, we had ink pens that had red ink, but they looked like a syringe. Um, and <laughs> I still have uh, Xavier's School for the Gifted and Talented from the first X-Men movie, um, a t-shirt that says that. Um, mm. So the little trinkets and gizmos. But the weirdest one we ever got was this giant bag of colored condoms for the movie Road Trip. Yep. <laughs> and we're like, we can't. We can't give these out at the screening. We can't give the condoms out to customers, right? So they just sat in the office for the longest time. I think I know for a fact at least two employees used them to sex other employees. Um, <clears throat> but that generally was just this bag of condoms in the office. And uh, one day when the boss lady was going through cleaning, it was there were five people in there. Me, one other assistant manager, um, basically a secretary, and then the boss – and then uh, Bob, the fix-it guy, <laughs> she pulls this bag out of the drawer and looks in it, wads up the top and throws it at Bob and says, here, pass these out among the black community so we won't have so many children without fathers running around. What? <laughs> so ridiculous. And he kind of awkwardly <laughs> and walks out the door because he was in the doorway. <laughs> And I have never in my entire life, you could script that in a movie, and I, I would not believe that somebody was actually that racist or, or clueless. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it, I mean, it's, it's more than just calling somebody a name, right? Yes. It, 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 it's, it's, there's, a, there's, there's types of racism that we, that we sort of look at, and it's like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty racist or whatever, and then we move along. But that right there is 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 probably the upper echelon of it's anything that be. I've ever heard. It's gotta be right. Yeah. So I uh, I ended up reporting the incident, um, and uh, nothing ever happened. Dude came out from the home office and interviewed a bunch of people for a few days. Then he left, and I never heard another thing about it. But I did, I did what I felt oh was right. Uh, I don't really feel like uh, you should talk to employees like that. Did you get oh, any backlash geez. from her? No. Um, but this is the kind of boss that you know, she was always giving backlash to everybody for various reasons. Nobody really liked her very much. I'm sorry to say, except I can, her I can imagine. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it seemed like they always did that with that theater, too. Like they would just just keep ushering in people who were just miserable bastards and <laughs> you have to be to run that place man yeah yeah um it's such a huge building we're talking about a, a it's got 27 auditoriums at the time we were working there there were four separate 
concession stands. I mean, it was it's just a beast. I think you run that for a couple of weeks and you can go from good person to dick. Well, and and Barrett, you the story that you just related, you were probably working at the time that was at the height of Hollywood 27's yeah. like big huge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it it, it was it, it floored me when I first got there. Uh, how busy that theater was. I mean, and how many, we had so many employees, so it didn't like ever feel overwhelming, but that, you know, we used to sell out of everything. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what stupid movie came out. They would sell it out. And, and it was just so many people running through there. Once they started building other theaters, like in other parts of town and everything, it, it really started dying out. But um, I'll never forget. Yeah. Like I had worked at a threeplex and a fiveplex, and then I came to work here, and it just blew my damn mind that there were two <laughs> full time managers scheduled to count money on. Yeah, just to count money. And, yeah, I mean, blew my mind. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, um, uh, here's something that happened while I was in New York. Um. There was a there was a point in in time where I was supposed to just go around training people for the projection booth because in New York they still had union projectionists, mm-hmm. which is something that I had never I didn't really really deal with. Although at Hollywood twenty seven there was that brief period of time where we had quote unquote union projectionists, even though they weren't. I mean, it was never really official or whatever. Um, I guess. Do you remember it being official? Yeah, Jeremy? I think it was, but it was over pretty quick. They were phasing them out. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, you know, this nut, they, they didn't get the same kind of benefits that I'd say a New York city person got or whatever. You're probably but, right. Um, but like, uh, so they had, they had union people in, in New York and, but there was a sort of a scare that, um, if the unions were to get, uh, broken up, out there that there would be a whole bunch of untrained managers that basically uh, would have to start running projectors and everything. So, so for months and months and months, I was going to all these theaters in New York, Staten Island, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, all these different theaters, training managers who doing a job, training the managers to do a job that probably they would never have to do. I mean, it was, it was that type of thing. So like a lot of times people wouldn't show up and people wouldn't respond and all that, but I was the guy to do that type of stuff. And I was actually going through all that, you know, certification stuff for them and everything. But, and this is not even, (laughs) I'm I'm giving you some background, but this is not even the the crux of the story. Um, I, I got done with that one day. I was at, I was at a theater in Brooklyn, uh, training two people in their certification program. And I was like, you know what? I'd like to go see a movie. Uh, but I'm going to see if I can get in, get into a theater wearing just my regal outfit and not have to deal with tickets or anything like that. Cause I was at a sort of a, a point where, uh, I couldn't call my manager because my manager, I didn't, it was, we didn't open up like in the, uh, afternoon at our, at my home theater, we didn't open up, uh, early. And I didn't, I don't think I had his number or something, something prevented me from calling him. But I think eventually I just decided, you know what? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to call my manager. I don't want to call this theater. I just want to see if I can do it. (laughs) So I, I went to this theater in Manhattan, the union square theater, the uh, 14 screen and, uh, walked in with my regal, like maroon thing on with black pants, and I walk to the, there's an escalator that goes up to where the, the auditoriums are. And there was, there's an usher there. 
And he saw me and he's like, excuse me, sir. And I was like, Hey man, I just got hired. I worked here. And I just went up the, I just went up the escalator. The guy, nice. the guy was just kind of didn't have much to do, say about it or whatever. I just kind of walked right on past him and everything. So, but the, the problem is the movie I wanted to watch, which I believe totally wasn't worth all the trouble, but I just wanted to see it. I think it was something called wrist cutters. I think Patrick Fujit's in it or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, uh, and so my problem, my instant problem is, is that I am wearing a regal outfit and I don't know where this movie is. So I'm like walking <laughs> around in this thing, looking for this theater and this theater is like the theater with that, uh, that movie in it is tucked behind one of the concession stands. I couldn't find it anywhere. Finally, I found it. And so I was like, I just kind of looked around and I know that the people in concession saw me, all these people saw me. And I walked and I walked into the theater and I found a seat. Now, if I had been smart about this, <laughs> I would have brought a change of clothes and I would have gone into the bathroom and changed my regal outfit out and, and just gotten into some normal clothes. And then nobody would have ever known that it was me or whatever, but I wasn't smart about this. So I walked into the auditorium and, and found a seat and, and here also unbeknownst to me, I did not know of this policy that Regal had. And I, and I worked for the company for a good, you know, uh, 11, 12 years by that point. Um, the, uh, the, it's against Regal policy to watch a movie with your outfit on. You're supposed to, you're supposed to have like, you know, if you go in to watch a movie, you're supposed to be like in a t-shirt and all this other type of stuff. I had no idea. Cause I I'm sort of like a grandfathered figure, you know, like it's, I, I work upstairs in the booth, didn't have to deal with that break rules and all these other type of things that, you know, basic employees always get and everything. Uh, so I sat there and I, I thought I pretty much got away with it. And during the preview, somebody, somebody from the theater walks in and, and they, they come up to me and they say, say, Hey, do you, are you, are you, do you work here? And I was like, no, I'm just a, I'm a booth certifier. I just came from another theater and I walked in or whatever. And, uh, and that person, I ended up talking to her for a while. I ended up saying, you know, and she goes, Oh, it's not that serious. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, well, all right. No, no problem then. So she walked out after, after I explained who I was and all this other stuff and, and everything. And I was like, okay, now I'm officially in the clear. <laughs> and then a manager walked in right after that with like ushers. Like it was like a, it was like fucking game of Thrones or some shit. You know, like they might as well have been bannermen with fucking spears and shit like that. And, uh, and, uh, and she was not as happy. Oh. She was like, she was like, are you coming in here saying that you work here and trying to watch a movie and all this? And I was like, I was like, yeah, so I walked. So so I, uh, I was like, I was like, look, I don't want, I I just didn't want to cause a scene. So I walked out with her and everything. And she started just laying it out for me, like blah, 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 you know? And, and, uh, and she's like, yeah, you can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling me what I can't do. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, and I said, and you know, and, and when you're caught in a situation like this, it's like you start coming up with every goddamn excuse that you can come up with and you know that they're wrong and, and everything. You're like, yeah, you know, I, I woke up early this morning and I'm tired and I just didn't, I didn't remember, <laughs> I didn't remember the policy and I didn't call ahead and all that. And I, you know, I'm sorry and all that. I guess uh, in the end, all I can say is I ended up getting kicked out of a theater uh, 
that uh, from the company that I worked for, I got kicked out of one of those theaters. And and, uh, it was just one of those embarrassing, you know, you want to talk about embarrassing. That is one of the most embarrassing moments ever. And, and like, you know, shame out of your, yeah. And, and I, and I felt what I felt bad. I felt really bad for that usher guy that, that, that half-heartedly tried to get me to come back and everything because I know he got lots of grief afterwards <laughs> and I hope he didn't get fired or anything. And, and you know it, what it you know, reminds I, me of? It reminds me of the ticket taker in South Park, Bigger Longer Round Cut, where they keep going in to see the movie. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and as they're walking out, he's like, hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> he has very naughty language. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like and nothing and and much like a lot of things, like even, you know, in the last one I told I, I told the story about calling that guy a motherfucker while I was in the projection booth and everything. Uh, you know, I you know, I was like, Oh, what's gonna happen? You know, I was like, What's gonna happen? And nothing happened. Yeah. Like the the manager I think that manager from the theater called my manager and my manager was like, Well, yeah, he he knows he's not supposed to do that. I don't know what else he's what else I'm gonna tell him. Well, I guess we can summarize <laughs> is that you can illegally go see movies, you can make horribly racist comments, you can openly as- insult uh employees and nothing will ever happen to you, right? That that is correct. That I mean, <laughs> at, at least in my at least in my charmed life, goal, I think a lot of other people got you know harsher sentences. Yeah, from let things me tell that they you. Did. Let me tell. This is again, it's not on my list of stories, but now you've prompted me. I was for a time, I was a GM of a ten screen, and I went in one Friday um, at like ten a.m. Worked all the way up until like nine. I worked like eleven hour day. Started all the last shows and left my assistant manager in charge and went home. And <clears throat> I guess technically, you know, my boss expect my district manager expected me to be there all the way to close that night. But I had come in super early, so about an hour after I left, I get a phone call from the district manager and he's like, "Where are you?" And I said, "I'm at home." He's like, "Why aren't you at the theater?" And I was like, "I was there for eleven hours, dude. I'm tired. An assistant manager can handle." It. And he was like, "Obviously not, because I just got a call on my cell phone from an angry customer. He gave out my cell phone number." What? I was like, <laughs> okay, well, that sucks. And he was like, "What step is he?" On? Of course, when you get written up, you get stepped, right? Step one is written or oral. Step two is a written warning. You get so many steps, you get fired. Uh, but they don't fire you. What they do is suspend you. And then HR determines for a month and a half whether they'll get sued if they fire you. Um, and so he's like, you get him to the third step. I don't care what you have to do tomorrow. You suspend him. Take his keys. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem very right, but okay. And so <laughs> I, I went in the next day. Um, you know, I was able to write him up for giving out the district manager's cell phone number. And one other thing that it was technically wrong, but I would never have cared about. Told him I was sorry, took his keys, and he left. Two weeks later, HR decides, no, this is not enough reason to fire him. And I got written up for falsely third-stepping him. Oh, come on. What? So I got... Yeah, so ridiculous. Doing what, so there are plenty of people who got screwed by the disciplinary system of Regal Cinemas, and I was on the <laughs> well, receiving end. It's funny. I, I never got written up until, like, like one of my last years working at the movie theater, and this is a 20 year career, never got written up for anything. And then the, the thing that I got written up for, which I, I may say for another story, somebody, it's not an interesting story by any means, but, uh, I got, I got the second step on for some total bullshit that wasn't my fault. Like it wasn't anything that I did. 
at all. It was just because I was in the vicinity of the thing that yeah, happened. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, and it's, and I was like, this is bullshit. I didn't care. This is the first time I'd ever gotten rid of it in my life. So I, I had lived a charmed life to that point, <laughs> but I'm like, Oh, you're going to write me up for this after all that, you know, yeah, let me tell you some real bad shit. <laughs> exactly. You don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Well, uh, all right. Is it my turn? It is. I mean, I know I just told one, but it was a cheat story. Um, so I want to talk about the time that I had to give a deposition in a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. There was uh, the same 10 screen I was just talking about. Um, we were having the carpets changed overnight. So like we would close and some crew would come in for, it was going on for like a week and they would tear up some section of carpet and put down new carpet and we would open the next day and go on. Well, <clears throat> this is a classic sloped floor auditorium theater. We didn't have stadium seating. And at the very back, the rows were kind of curved and the back row was far enough away from the back wall that if you shimmied, you could kind of get from one side to the other by going behind that last row. Uh, but on the ends, there, it was wider. And, you, you know, I used to check auditoriums by walking in, sliding over to the right and standing behind that last row and just kind of monitoring. Well, apparently a woman tried to cross the auditorium by going behind that last row of seats. Never mind that she was three times my size and I had to shimmy Jeez. to get through. But I learned of this when she and her... Uh, movie mate came out and um, I had to write up an incident report and, you know, yada, yada, send it to the home, home office. And that was that. And like, um, I don't know, six months later, I resigned, went to a different job. Two years later, I went to work for Kroger. And somewhere around in there, I had to go give a deposition about a lawsuit related to this woman's accident. <laughs> what? Um, oh, God. She had tried to go behind those seats, but the carpet crew had put a roll of carpet back there to store it for the night rather than taking it back out to the truck or upstairs or whatever. I didn't know this. None of us knew this. And she tripped on that carpet and hurt her wrist and broke a piece of jewelry. I don't know. I don't remember the details. Um, but this is at a point in my life where I have no love for regal cinemas whatsoever. Like, <laughs> why are you calling me, right? I have resigned... Three times from your company, twice I came back. This time I'm not. Um, you really do you really want me as a witness? <laughs> but because I was the GM and I had taken the incident report, I had to be deposed. So went downtown, met with the lawyer guy and these two other managers that used to work with me that were also getting deposed. And then when it was my time, I was led into the conference room. And it's basically like that scene in The Rainmaker when <laughs> Matt Damon is there for a deposition and across from him are like five of the highest priced lawyers in the world. Right? <laughs> she was suing Regal. She was suing the carpet company. I think there was a third entity she was suing. Um, so there were lawyers all around this other side, but there was only one guy asking questions. And then Regal's lawyer was to my left. This should have gone very badly for Regal, um, <laughs> but it did not um, <laughs> because the woman's lawyer is one of those guys that just assumes he's smarter than you before you open your mouth. And it became very clear within five or six questions that he was trying to get me to say certain phrases. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about my personality, you should know that's not going to go over very well at all. Um, <laughs> don't put words in my mouth. And the, the big sticking point was he wanted me to say it was reasonable to assume that if she had seen employees go behind the seats, that she too could go behind the seats. But the phrase was reasonable to assume. And I would lear later learn that was that's a, a key mm -hmm. phrase in lawsuits like this. And had I said it, it would have been bad for Regal. But I, at this point, am stubbornly not going to say that shit because you're trying to make me. And so <laughs> he asked me again, isn't it reasonable to assume? And I said, no, they've seen me all kinds of places that they're not allowed to go, like 
on the roof behind the concession stand in the manager's <laughs> office in the projection booth. Just because they see me there doesn't mean it's reasonable to assume they might wander in there. That's that, that's not going to work. And two questions later, he was done with me. Yeah. Afterwards, the regal lawyer took me out to lunch. I swear to God, he was giggling the entire time. And he told me, you should have been a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, well, if he pissed me off, if he hadn't pissed me off, I you know, might have accidentally said what he wanted me to say. But and of course, I never heard another thing about it. So it was just either dropped or settled out of court or what have you. But I'm actually surprised that during that that sort of line of inquiry, they didn't just object and say it's asked and answered because that's what usually happens when they do that. Repeat, yeah. repeat, and repeat. Funny is the regal lawyer didn't say a word like the entire time. He just sat next to me and I and had told me, you know, if there's anything out of line, I'll step in, but he never did. So you're right. I don't know how that works exactly, but he had two or three good runs at me to try and get me to say that phrase. <laughs> um, okay. So now I have a, a, a million others, but um, I have a friend from New York who actually sent me a story, uh, a, a story from her perspective. Oh. Um, and I was going to, I'm just going to go ahead and, and tell that one, unless people think that that's cheating uh, in any no. way. Um, it's our, um, it's our podcast. Yeah. But, um, and, and I have plenty more. So yeah, just like Jeremy said, it could go many volumes after this, but I found this story, uh, you know, so good that I was like, yeah, I definitely have to do this, uh, on the next podcast. But I don't, I don't think I was working at this particular theater anymore at the time that this happened, but it was working at a theater that I, that I was, it was, it did happen at a theater where I was, that I had worked before. Um, but this, uh, this, uh, this uh, girl, Christine was working up in the projection booth and our, our manager, uh, uh, was Joanna. And like, so there was a, you know how, you know, your everyday co communication happens over the radio um, at the, uh, at the theater. So like, you know, a, a lot of things are pretty easy. You know, they said, we need a manager to the box office or, Hey, there's something wrong in number five, go check it out. Blah, 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 blah. So you just imagine if you're like up in the projection booth and someone, a ticket taker just says, can I get a manager to the lobby? There's a kid inside the claw machine. <laughs> oh, Oh, Wow. And apparently, like, I, I can only imagine what this would be like if you uh, if you heard this over the radio, because you you're like you, you'd be like probably like like you guys are right now. Like, huh? What? Yeah, especially when you hear that, hear that over a radio. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't communicate. the. It, you heard it, but it doesn't communicate the problem at all. It's not it's not, you know, it's not uh, it's not sufficient. Um, even though it's basically there. Um, but apparently there was like a, you know, a comedic three seconds of radio silence. And then, and then she said, what? So they repeated it. So she and Joanna, you know, go running down to wherever this claw machine is probably the lobby. And, uh, and then, yeah, sure enough, there's this small kid, this little girl, inside the claw machine Good grief you know yeah you know, you know and then if you guys don't know what we're talking about you know like toy story where the they're getting the prizes out and everything you know we're being sent to a better place you know all that type of stuff but, you know it's a it's a prize machine that nobody's ever won in the history of, no. of you know <laughs> arcade machines but this little girl standing in the little uh little place where you get the prizes 
Um, like the 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 little door that that only you know like how vending machines are, where the that door goes up, and so that you can't you know Homer Simpson your arm all the way through and try to grab a prize, you know, by itself yeah. and it, like without without putting money in the machine and everything. She's standing in that tray, but like her body, you know, she you can see her in there inside where all these plush animals are and everything. And, uh, and it's like cute little girl with curly pigtails. And, uh, and like, um, so, um, so like, uh, you couldn't push the door in cause her feet were there. Like her legs were there. Right. Um, so, so like it, you could, could just couldn't, you couldn't open it up or, or whatever. And apparently, you know how kids are. The kid was, didn't, wasn't all that upset at all, but, <laughs> the mom was super upset. So then the kid got super <laughs> oh. upset and everything. So, you know, that's the way it is. But so the funny part about this thing she relates is like, she wishes she had that nine one one call recorded because <laughs> she called nine one one and it, and like the way she writes it out, she's like nine one one. What's your emergency? There's a child stuck in the claw game. <laughs> what? There's a little kid stuck in the claw machine. Uh, someone has their arm stuck in a machine. No, the whole kid's in there. <laughs> so she finishes the call and she runs back. And before FDNY can show up, they'd already gotten her out. They they actually got her to where she climbed back into the machine fully so that they could push the door all the way. And then, and then like slide her back out the way she came. Basically, Jesus. that's how they did that. Um, but like the manager, Joanna was sitting there with a fire extinguisher, like basically in mom mode, ready to smash. The thing open. <laughs> and then FDNY shows up and of course, like the kids. Okay. There's nothing wrong. All of their stuff. They probably just like, yeah, prank call or whatever. And like, yeah, sure. There was a kid inside the freaking claw game, whatever you say dumb girls you know and, that's and walked unbelievable up. how the oh, how did she fit through that i mean that's not a big shoot right no no jesus man. like yeah how in the world like you i mean She's basically like the t-1000 right like she it, can liquefy yeah herself man and just like it has to be like that it's like it's it's like you know she she got in there and she was like get out you know <laughs> it's like uh it's a yeah, it's a crazy thing. Like I don't think anybody knows because nobody's ever seen how. Like unless there there might have been security camera footage somewhere, but who knows if the camera was pointing in the right way or whatever. But like yeah, that's the that's insane. Like how did they do it and how did they do it? This is one of those stories where you're like, you know, how did the kid get into the gorilla cage <laughs> and how did the kid get? How did the kid do this? I mean, this feels like something that takes even more time to try to actually get yourself into, you know, before some, before your mom notices or whatever. Hey, what like I would have done just, if I worked there is I would have gone right to the tapes and, and watched, you know, just for entertainment yeah. value and watch what she did <laughs> yeah. to get in there. Well, and who knows? I mean, you know, the it may not have been pointed right at that claw machine or whatever, but it, I would have gone straight to it just to see if there was even a possibility. Yeah. Of that well, happening. The main and who is, knows, they may have. Yeah, that little fucking kid was trying to steal an animal, is is what we can take away. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She was trying terrible. to steal Kids are just awful. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. They, when kids want something, that's just generally a terrible You should be prosecuted trait. to the fullest extent of the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 30 years, no toys. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, speaking of greedy people, um, <laughs> I want to tell a, at least one more quick one. I know we're kind of running long, but um, 
working in Hollywood again, up in the booth. I think I might have been running the floor, actually, but also running the booth. What they started to do with me at a certain point was they would give me a booth shift, but then expect me to go manage the ushers in between while I wasn't threading projectors, which is fine. Which was bullshit, though. I mean, yeah, <laughs> totally. I just, you know, I just, I guess I didn't like I mean, that booth all the time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I get a call to come to customer service. And there was this guy that I think to this day still works there at customer service that Chris would remember. Mm-hmm. And he just had a really right. you know, sharp and sarcastic, but kind of lovable personality. Yeah. And uh, so I walk up to him and uh, I lean on the, in on the counter. I was like, what's up? And he gestures with his head at a, at a man in a, in a suit standing over by the arcade. And he's like, this dude says he lost $10,000. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And he was like, this guy says he had a money clip that had $10,000 in it that f- must have fallen out of his pocket. Um, but he went back to the movie theater to check. And we even turned the lights on for him and we didn't find it. And he thinks one of the, he thinks one of the ushers has it. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I've never dealt with anything like this. So I walk over to this guy. <laughs> I'm not buying any of this, right? Like, uh, who the right. fuck is putting $10,000 on a money clip? to go to the movies. But I'll tell you what, Nobody. once I saw this guy's face, I did not doubt that he had just lost several thousand dollars. <laughs> like he just had <laughs> the look of a man whose soul was crushed. Oh, and so shit. now I had, I had just been to this week long training thing for managers at the home office where one of the things they talked to us about was, um, searching employees' bags if we suspect they've stolen something. And we, we were not allowed to do it by force. We had to ask permission to search the bag. That was their property. And I was like, let's go talk to the ushers and we'll see. So we walked down. There's three ushers on duty. There's one of these guys there that's just – he was sort of the rascal of the of the usher group. He was one of those wise asses who was lazy, but you kind of liked him because he reminded you of yourself when you were younger. <laughs> and before I even ask a question – I can tell by the look on this guy's face, he's $10,000 richer and (laughs) he's sweating and he's got a backpack. That guy got it in the backpack fast enough. And I asked everybody, did you find the money? And everybody said, no. And there's no doubt on my mind. If you're listening to this podcast, dude, you got away with it by a loophole in the rules because I totally knew you had it. And and of course (laughs) the guy did too. And I turned to him and I explained, look, here's the deal. I can't search their stuff. I'm not allowed by law. Uh, if they say they didn't, they don't have it, then there's nothing else I can do. And that guy was pissed. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think he was mostly pissed because he was embarrassed that he had been dumb enough to lose that money or even take it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. what the hell, Come on. man? Yeah. I mean, that's one of those, like, I get it. The, the thing that, the wrong thing is someone stole the money. Let's let's get that out of the way. Yes. But you are asking for it. Oh, yes. Just, you know, carrying that kind of cash around with uh. you. And, and, and even in such a way that it can fall down in between the seats of, I mean, you, you should have that at least in a box. It would be in my underwear strapped to my dick. I would not be losing that much cash. <laughs> <laughs> wrapped around with several rubber bands. Exactly. That is correct. The largest bills on the outside. Condoms. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, do we have time for one more or should we go into ah, Screw the... it. They like longer podcasts. Give us another one. Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. Well, so last podcast, I talked about a, a huge projection win by uh, interlocking Dark Knight with two prints, seven auditoriums. But I've had probably many more failures oh. than like, like, well, maybe not 
maybe not like a lot of big, huge failures or whatever, but you remember a lot of your failures more than you remember your good stuff. But, um, I, uh, the first projection problem, uh, huge problem I ever had, and it wasn't really my fault, but it was to this day, I think it was the biggest film disaster I've ever seen of a movie that is running in an auditorium. Um, so it, this was back in 1996. Um, I remember a bunch of friends like Jonathan and Mike and all these people that we know, um, went to see the movie screamers. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was at this time I was, you know, uh, closing the theater and all this other type of stuff. This is my old theater in Franklin. Um, and so like, uh, all the movies had started and, um, and so I'm like sitting there and like, you know, I'm going to go into screamers and, and watch some of the movie with them. So I, I walked in and I watched some of screamers. Now, I don't think I've ever had this kind of premonition before or since, but I got up. I was like, I need to get, and I, I was going to get up anyway. I wasn't going to watch the whole freaking movie or anything, but I got up, I walked out and it, and as soon as I walked out of that one theater, somebody came out of the theater showing from dusk till dawn and said, there's something wrong with the, with the, uh, the movie. Now, up until this point, I had never run into anything that was huge, like maybe some brain wraps here and there, but those were always easy to fix. Um, you know, you'd have, you know, maybe you'd have to cut out some frames or whatever and, you know, move on. You start to move. Uh, I walked up and this brain wrap, and I will explain if anybody needs to know that back in 35 millimeter days before it was digital, you had a movie that looked sort of like a, a vinyl record, basically, is what it looked like. And uh, in the center, you have a brain which controls sort of the speed of the film as it goes through the projector. And, it's, and it sort of just makes sure that the film stays intact and, and it doesn't do anything crazy. Now, if your brain or your platter or anything like that is off time, then sometimes you get some crazy things with the film going through that brain. Hmm. And, uh, and what, you know, like if your brain, if your platter runs too fast, then, you know, film wraps around the brain. And after a while it wraps so much it, you have projector going one way and you have the film getting pulled another way. And that's what happens with the, uh, you know, the, if you ever experience the burned frame on the screen type of thing that, you know, gremlins too, uh, <laughs> you know, probably scared a hundred projectionists with, um, <laughs> Uh, that's what would happen is the, the brain would wrap, it would pull one way, the projectors pull another way, it burns. So this is what had happened with From Dust Till Dawn. However, on this particular brain wrap, and I never saw it again, I never saw this same thing again. So, you know, I was talking about the vinyl record thing. So you have a tail end of that movie that's on the, towards the edge of the platter. Uh, that tail end, you know, there's many ways to keep that tail, uh, uh, you know, in it, in its, in its spot, you can't tape it to it, to the, you can't tape it because it, it ends up causing that same problem at the end or whatever. So usually you put like something like a platter puck, which, you know, sort of like, you know, um, keeps it, keeps it sort of, uh, you know, keeps it from going anywhere or you have, uh, you tuck it underneath the film or you do a variety of things that tail end of the movie. And we tucked it. We tucked our tails underneath the, the film to keep it from doing anything. Well, something had happened with this brain wrap where the tail actually went inside where the brain is. Oh, my God. And, mm. and it 
and that tail started wrapping around the film that was going into the projector. So you had the, you know, let's say reel two of the movie is going through the, is going through the projector, the very final reel, reel five or six or whatever also is going through that projector at the oh. time. I don't think it got yeah. that far, but it, it wrapped around, you know, reel five wrapped around reel two, basically the tail end of it. Jeez. So he had not only just a brain, you had a brain wrap, but you also had that nonsense going on. And I also believe that it was, it was not only a fast brain wrap where you had the film go one way, but you also had like a slow brain wrap where the film went another way. So there was like, like it physically felt like there were two different kinds of brain wraps because it like a hose it's it's you know it's like uh it's 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 hard to get out the kinks and all these other different things uh i actually stupidly thought that i could run it from like i like once i got the tail part off of it i was like all right i'm just gonna run this after i after i splice it back or whatever you know i press start on it and like like no there's still a brain wrap you dumbass what are you doing <laughs> and uh and and like it burned again and finally i just you know you know when you're a projectionist you're just sitting there you look at it for like 10 15 seconds and you're like all right i guess i'm gonna have to give people refund passes yeah. so you know, I gave I gave 30 people their refund passes, but this film disaster, you know, it it was it there was so much to it. Like, you know, all the movies got done uh while it was happening. Jonathan and Mike and all the people they were with came upstairs with me and helped me with it. And we were we were like pulling film all the way down the hallway and like just trying to get all these little kinks and and it, I, I don't know how to <laughs> really weird. explain it, but there's kinks and there's loops and there's, and there's stuff tied together and there's all this other type of stuff. And you're just cutting everywhere you can so that you can get more ends and that you don't have to, you know, sit there and like physically untie a whole bunch of film that's all wrapped together in a spaghetti at this point. And like, just, you know, and it took us like, yeah, I think it was like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah to get all that. And we, I probably put like 50 splices in that one reel. So like when it ran through again, it was like, you know, and, uh, and everything it, to this day, it was the worst disaster I've ever seen. And, and when went to Hollywood 27, there was like a whole new set <laughs> of like, of like problems that came up through brain wraps and things like that, that would happen. Uh, I remember Love actually had something that was really close to what that From Dust Till Dawn thing was, but it wasn't nearly the the problem. Of course, I was also way more experienced remember by that, that time, too. Remember that asshole number four projector that for no reason and without warning would sometimes just feed the entirety of the film onto the floor instead of back yeah. onto the platter? Yeah, you had, a, you, had a, you had two problems with that projector where it was the platter that was that was rewinding the film as it was running would stop. And, and, and it would stop without warning. Like, you know, you, you, if you got it through the first trailer, you usually were okay. But like, if you started it and it was like about, you know, 30 seconds and you just walked off, sometimes it would just stop running. So then you had that would happen. And then you have a fail safe that's supposed to like, you know, tell the projector, Hey, the film is loose. It's no longer tight. Uh, shut off. And what, what this would do is it would just continue. To, it was like too good of a sensor. Like it was reading it 
like as film was was still in there it didn't matter so the film that's supposed to be rewinding suddenly is just going onto the floor and like you wouldn't know anything about it until the the film the, there would be a pile of film on the like floor waist high. and it would <laughs> yeah waist high and it would finally <laughs> run into a spot where the 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 movie couldn't spill any more film out onto the floor and it would finally go oh fuck and then it would you know it would shut off was- Hollywood 27 was just filled with that type of stuff though like they had static issues and platter speed problems that you couldn't really fix ever it seemed like and even and every technician until like the really good one came in every technician that would come in would try to solve this problem one way or the other or they would just you just ignore it or whatever and man, there's so many like film disasters where the movie would, the entire movie would fall on the floor while the movie was running and everything. You had all that type of stuff. Nothing as bad as that from Dust Till Dawn, though. Wow. <laughs> like those, I mean, Epic. it really took forever. I don't know how interesting that story is, but it's, it's sort of back in the day of, you know, what you had to deal with with film. And if you didn't know every, you know, if you didn't know every single like last thing about, uh, platter speeds and brains and all this other type of stuff, then sometimes something like that would happen. I well, used to it must have been epic out. because the people that helped you with that still talk about that story up to this day. So oh, yeah. Apparently very memorable. I used, oh, I used yeah. to get bitched out by those technicians you're talking about when I was a booth manager because I would retime the platters because I was smart mm-hmm. enough to know how to do it and I could tell when mm-hmm. one was off. And then they would come and go, who did this? Who, who tweaked this? And I said, I did so I could run a show. But I would still get in trouble. But... Oh yeah. Anyway, what are you gonna do? Yeah, that, that yeah, that's a whole other story of that. <laughs> to those people, uh, a lot of times, you know, I I definitely got into it with a couple of technicians. Oh yeah. Well, I ha- also have a film disaster story for next time too. So okay, we'll great. See how well they like yours, <laughs> and if they hated it, I won't tell mine. That's yeah. Teaser, I mean, it, I think the problem uh, in general with a story like that, it's hard to visualize if you've never seen them, if you've never seen a projector run before like i can't even really describe it to you without you know without there being some things that i know for a fact that you can't you really don't know what i'm talking about um but but like i think everybody has been in a theater before you know before everything was digital and has experienced that burn on the screen thing everybody i think everybody's got a story like that and in almost every instance it is something like that happened All right, so are we ready for our Q&A? It's going to be short this week, but I'm ready. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. So we had uh, a couple of great questions come in through uh, SoundCloud. One of the ones that we were looking at is a question uh, saying, has there ever been a movie that you walked out on or turned off that you later ended up enjoying? Now, we've talked about... Uh, the times where we've walked out of movies and that kind of thing. Uh, but this is an interesting question to to see, like, what we um, ended up, like, just kind of turning around on and saying, like, oh, okay, I kind of I dug that. And I'll go on and just throw out mine. Because I didn't get the context of where it was coming from uh, was Paul Verhoeven's uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, God and- damn it. That's the movie I was going to come out Yeah. Well, it's probably for similar reasons. Maybe not. I just didn't get the subtext. I didn't get the whole propaganda thing. I was going in to watch a straight up action, like sci-fi movie. And I ended up liking it, you know, with that kind of uh, mentality around it, especially having read the book and everything. But I will still defend my dislike of Casper Van Dien's performance. I think oh, that yeah, was, he's terrible. Regardless of how parody it's supposed to be, that was fucking ridiculous. Yeah. 
Um, I'll tell you how how low of an opinion I had of Starship Troopers before it even came out. Um, the 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 movie that opened against Starship Troopers was Mad City. Dustin yeah. Hoffman, John Travolta. I remember that. And uh, and back in the day, used to have um, I used to have a lot of uh, friends come out on a Thursday night uh, to come watch a movie and. And, uh, you know, this is totally against policy of, of any movie theater to have like that, especially that many people. A lot of times it was a good, a, you know, huge amount of people that would come and watch on a Thursday night. Well, I, I worked at a theater that that just was so out out of the middle of nowhere that nobody ever checked on that you can kind of get away with that type of stuff. But I remember. I remember I you know the way the way I we did things is sometimes I would purposely not build a movie or whatever if I had cuz we had we didn't open during the day so I knew I had all of Friday or all of Thursday to build uh, the next movie or whatever um and uh, I was like I hate Starship Troopers so much I'm going to I'm going to build Mad City and and actually I think I was I was sort of rebelling against all the people who would come out on these Thursdays with people who not even your friend or whatever would come <laughs> out and and we're like, hey, I heard about these movies. And you're like, eh, you know, who did you hear it from? Oh, yeah, this guy said it'd be okay to come along. Oh, he did? Okay. And um, but so like Starship Troopers, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to build Mad City. But I didn't have I normally a big movie like Starship Troopers. I'd be like excited to just watch it no matter what. Um, but I've in defiance, I simply just built Mad City and, and they just said, we're going to watch Mad City tonight. Fuck, <laughs> fuck you. Here's Dustin yeah, Hoffman. Yeah. Fuck you, Starship Troopers. <laughs> and uh, but then I watched Starship Troopers and I was 20 when that movie came out. And I don't think I had fully developed my sense of like satire and yeah. everything. Yeah. And and Verhoeven very much does that with RoboCop and, and to some weird extent showgirls, even though I you know <laughs> uh it's still not good. But Starship Troopers, uh I, I I wasn't I wasn't really watching it with the satire in mind, even though there were a lot of Robocop esque things in that movie. Yeah. Uh, especially with the like uh you know, the come join the army footage reels and all that that would you know that they were playing like and everything. More? Yeah, would you like to learn more and uh, all that? And uh, but then I watched it uh, again uh, at a midnight movie here at the Bell Court, uh, and I and I I had already sort of heard a lot of you know I'd heard this about Starship Troopers like oh I need to see that again I just didn't I never gave it another chance and I watched it at the Bell Court and I'm like oh yeah I I actually really like this movie now <laughs> you know so it it, it took a it took a good long while but I eventually yeah. uh, came around on it and I don't think it was just you and me I think uh, quite a bit of its initial audience had no clue what they were watching no no it wasn't it wasn't uh, presented as something no, that it was fun. marketed yeah it was marketed as just a standard like action sci-fi movie yeah yeah well uh mine is probably a little bit obscure um but it's kids in the hall brain candy oh <laughs> that's a good yes. one and uh i was such a kids in the hall fan of their sketch show and my buddy josh and i went to see this movie when it came out we had to drive just like mystery science theater 3k the movie we had to drive pretty far because it was a limited release but yeah. um and i just i attribute my not liking it the first time to just pure shock like I was, I just wasn't expecting so much of what I saw. Um, just like South Park, the movie, they had gone so much harder and bluer than they were able to do on their show. I wasn't yeah. used to seeing contain like a big long story. I was used to seeing these little vignettes 
And I just kind of walked out going, okay, so that was a thing. And then when it came out on video, like six months later, we, we rented it. Josh and I used to do this a lot, where we would rent something to make sure we were right the first time we saw it. Like, yeah. we did it with Cable Guy because we loved it, but everybody else hated it. So when it came out, we rented it. Let's make sure we were right. Yeah, we still love it. Uh, <laughs> second time, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy laughed my ass off. I was crying oh, yeah. and giggling. Oh, yeah. Once I had sort of cleaned the slate of what to expect, I was able to accept the comedy in a much better way. Yeah, the, the Scott Thompson stuff in that movie is so funny. I, I would recommend just w going out and watching it today for that reason. Uh, everything Scott Thompson related in that movie is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, It just hits you from every different direction, completely yeah. unexpectedly, much like that South Park movie. It's just like... Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. like, they're not, they're not afraid to not only do uncomfortable humor. I think they like it sometimes. Like the yeah. whole cancer boy thing where you're just like, you're laughing, but you know it's wrong and it's sad. And <laughs> how, how you manipulated me thusly. <laughs> uh, that, is a, that is a really good one because I think I was sort of the same way when I first watched it. Although I, I think I first, well, I didn't watch it in theaters. Um, I watched it much later on. Um, and I was at first, I, I think more, I just didn't want to watch it cause it, uh, there were a lot of bad reviews for it when it first yeah. came out. When did it come out? 94? Somewhere around there. It was, I think it was 95, 96. Cause I think I was officially working up in like, we didn't get that movie the theater across the street. Got it. I think I was officially like an assistant manager and all that around the time. I think it was 95, 96, somewhere when it came out. Hmm. Um, but yeah, mid nineties. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's such, it's a, it's such a good one because that's something that, yeah, when you first watch it, it says, yeah, this is too much. This is too much. Can't yeah. deal with it. Anyway, uh, that is the podcast, the Sincast for, uh, this week. Um, we are, uh, we continue to, uh, monitor SoundCloud for our comments and stuff like that. If you want to tweet CinemaSins too, we can do that. Uh, but, uh, just tell us how we're doing. Tell us if we're, uh, doing well, if you got any suggestions, whatever we're, uh, we're monitoring those. Um, anything else we need to add today, guys? We're monitoring you. We're monitoring. <laughs> yes. We're monitoring you. Like much like the year that we were doing today, 1984, we are big brothering everything. Oh, nice so. callback. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. We didn't even mention that movie, which I think there's a version of that that came out that year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. It has John Hurt in it. I have never it seen did. it, but I've heard it's a really good adaptation. <laughs> Any creepy dictatorial movie has to have John Hurt in it, right? Is it, <laughs> yeah, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that is the Sincast. We will, uh, this is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share signing off. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Sorry. <laughs> Complicate your shit. If I get too hot, because right now I can't hear myself. You're already too hot, Jeremy. Yes, I know, I know. Why don't you purify yourself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka?